they rest on their laurels. And that's what happened to me is I would stop doing the things I needed to do. I'd start hanging out with the, the wrong guys again, but it wasn't that big of a deal, you know? And, yeah. and before I knew it, I was justifying party drugs. And, yeah. and, you know, and then next thing you know, I've got a heroin needle in my arm. The Happy Healthy Human podcast will help you build your happy, healthy life. Your host, Paul Levitin, is a board-licensed health and wellness coach, nutrition coach, personal trainer, and behavior change specialist with over 10 years of experience helping people create positive life change. Each week, he discusses topics that will help you understand yourself, why you do the things you do, and how to take steps to create the life of your dreams. He talks with experts from therapists to addictions counselors, coaches, trainers, CEOs, financial planners, and more. If you've ever wondered how can you become the best, happiest, healthiest version of yourself, you've come to the right place. Brad Jensen is an entrepreneur, a father, nutrition coach, former pro bodybuilder, and Instagram fitness educator who goes by the handle The Sober Bodybuilder. After meeting Brad at a mastermind years ago, we've kept in touch and I've followed closely with his journey. He's always been one of the fitness influencers that I've enjoyed. He puts out real actionable information and he shoots it straight. So when I started my podcast, I knew I wanted to have Brad on and he was one of my very first guests way back in episode number 18. This interview replay is one of my favorites as Brad's story is enlightening and inspiring and he drops some real gems that will help anyone who's trying to be a happier, healthier human. So enjoy this episode from The Vault with Brad Jensen. I always ask every guest to give me their origin story. Where are you now and how did you end up there? And I think that you are, oh, I know that you do have a particularly uh, interesting one. So I'm, I'm excited to hear it. Yeah, you want the uh, Cliff Notes version or? <laughs> Whatever you feel like. <laughs> I'm, I'm down for all the details. First job, like real job, um, not just like, like a waiting table, like a high school job at busing <laughs> was as yeah. a personal trainer when I was a senior in high. So I just was about to graduate. And I realized I hated school. And so I didn't want to continue going down to school. And I'm like, I love fitness. So I got certified and uh, got my first job when I was 18, right out of high school at a place called Bally Total Fitness. I think they all went under. Yeah. Yeah. They had like fucking purple and pink jazzercise stuff all over the wall. It was crazy. Yeah. Like it was still stuck in the 80s and it was like 2003. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it wasn't, um, you know, there's a big chunk of that story. So, that that um is important and relevant to share that i um you know was first off i was an overweight kid you know and here's the here's the thing is looking back i was 12 13 years old like that 12 to 14 year and i was just a chubby like slightly overweight kid i mean i was definitely a little bit i was a thick little kid but in my mind i was just ginormous and i look back at pictures and i was like oh bud you were just a short awkward 12 year old like i hadn't hit a growth spur i was chubby mm -hmm. but i thought i was the fattest kid alive so i'd wear the i was the guy with the the black t-shirt on on a hundred degree day in july at the pool because i didn't want to take it off and so i found uh and at that time too i started experimenting with some with some alcohol and I came from a religious family, so it was like really taboo. I'd go over to my buddies. We'd sneak it out of his mom's liquor cabinet, you know, 13, 14 years old and doing that stuff. 
about 15, I found fitness and I was in a bookstore and my mom was getting a book. Um, my life would have been way easier if it was today because I would just gone G-O-O-G-L-E, <laughs> you know, but um, this is 1998 um, and, you know, AOL was around with the dial up. And yeah. But I found this, this, uh, this muscle and fitness magazine. I remember looking at, it, I looked at the cover and I was, it, nothing about it made sense. Cause I was a short, awkward, chubby kid. And I was like, I want to look like that guy. So I picked it up and I started reading. And I remember I was just fascinated. And, uh, I kept going back to that same bookstore after school. Um, I didn't have a car. I wasn't old enough to drive. So I'd take my bike and I started reading the encyclopedia of bodybuilding by Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I was the first time in my life that I'd been passionate about anything. Like it just drew my attention. I was into it. And so I started to apply everything I was learning in the magazines and, and quickly transform my body. The problem is I also hit a growth spurt along the way. And uh, so then I, I was eating like a bikini girl diet, right? <laughs> Got way too skinny. And all my friends who made fun of me for being fat now made fun of me for being too skinny. And I thought, yeah. I can't win. So I, uh, I, I started around uh, 15, 16 years old. Like instead of just like doing the diet part, I started really incorporating the weights and really incorporating everything I was learning. I kind of was, but I wasn't taking it serious enough. And um, boom, transformed my body. Like, and I came back my junior high school, and all of a sudden, you know, the hottest girl in school, like, you know, wanted my number. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I'm not a new guy. I sat right behind <laughs> you all last year. Like, I asked you for your pencil like four times. I was so offended. But you know what happened in that? And I'll just kind of sum it up short. Was um, so I realized how bad drinking was for building muscle. And I interpreted the information wrong somewhere along the way. I interpreted it as like, if you drink, you will lose all your muscle. Like there was no in between. Mm -hmm. So I just cold turkey. I told my buddies, I can't drink anymore. Mm -hmm. And so I stopped drinking. And now, you know, I'm 17 years old. I'm a junior in high school. And I'm like, cool, I'm popular because I'm kind of buff for a kid. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll never forget it. We pulled up to like one of these house parties and, you know, everyone's in there drinking the jungle juice and the keggers. And, and before we went in, my buddy looked at me and he said, hey, dude, I just got to tell you, man, every time you leave here, everyone talks shit on you. And I said, why? And he said, because they all make fun of you for always having your muscle milk ready to like I would go in there and drink my protein drinks because, <laughs> you know, I had to lift the next morning. And um, I was like, oh, man, that sucks. And he said, uh, well, here, dude, if you don't want to drink, I've got some of these, uh, these pain pills. And I, and I was so naive. This is how quick it turned from, I said, oh, I'm not in pain. I'm good. And he said, no, no, man, they'll make you feel like you're, you're kind of drunk, but no, uh, no hangover. And it was like, without even question, just took them. And, uh, I remember when it all hit me, like I, I, I distinctly remember feeling like this is the feeling I want the rest of my life, no matter what. Like I had arrived, I was like, and my buddy's like, these kind of make me feel sick. And I'm like, you're crazy. And it just progressed really fast. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I believe that, um, you know, I had these addictive tendencies as a kid. The way I got into nutrition and fitness at such a young age was addictively. I didn't know any different. Mm -hmm. And I believe I was wired just different from the get. So, you know, the next day um, I ended up, I called them and I said, hey, let's get some more of those. Oh, wow. I said, oh, I can't. I took them from my mom. So I was like, oh, that sucks. Arranged to hang out with them. The minute he went to the bathroom, I went in the cabinet and I took them. Mm -hmm. And like, that's such not a normal behavior mm -hmm. to just all of a sudden be stealing pain pills from your buddy's mom. And so that progressed and continued. And, and before I knew it, I was taking trips down to Tijuana, Mexico from Salt Lake City, Utah as a senior in high school. 
and um, and uh, going to the pharmacies, getting all sorts of pharmaceutical drugs, putting in my door panels, putting the door panel back on, and driving right through. And it was like idiot savant. Like I really didn't understand the amount of federal felonies I was committing. <laughs> the first time I was nervous, then I got away with it. And I was like, oh, this is easy. So I come back and that's where my entrepreneurship began as I started selling lots of drugs. And, um, and you know, at the time was doing a lot too. And, but never ran out for like that nine month stretch because I would have so much. And so uh, the end of my senior year of high school, um, the drugs ran out. And I went through this thing called withdrawals that I had heard people talk about, but I didn't really get it. Even though I was selling drugs, I was selling to high school kids, not junkies. So mm -hmm. I didn't really, and I was so violently ill, the worst anxiety attacks in my life. And I was with a guy who, uh, who said, I've got someone to make you feel better. And it was heroin. And I remember at that moment, uh, there was like this line in the sand I drawn. Like, I was like, no, that's dirty. I don't do heroin. And within, within probably five minutes, I was like, give it to me. And so he, um, he had had it loaded up in a syringe and that was the first time I did heroin. And, and I'll never forget, he looked at me and he said, kid, your life's never gonna be the same, I apologize. And I didn't know the totality of that statement, but uh, heroin grabbed a hold of me and from 18 to 28, I battled it off and on. And every, and, you know, every other drug, a man of rule two, would, would do lots of cocaine with it. Then the cocaine got too expensive. So I decided the meth would be a good idea. And like, really, I, I, I thought if I could use more meth, I would have more energy to do my hustle to get my heroin. But uh, unfortunately, it just made me crazy. And so uh, there's a lot that happened in that 10 years. I don't know how much you want to touch on, but, mm -hmm. you know, um, and then we get into where I'm at today. But I feel like I'm just rambling at this yeah, point. Yeah, no, no. I, uh, I appreciate that. I want just, I appreciate you sharing that because that's a lot that's, that's, uh, you know, very deep stuff. And I appreciate you being open and honest about it. I know you've told this story before and you're not, you, you have no, no uh, shame about it because you, you've come a, a long way since then. But I do appreciate you sharing that because for everyone listening, you know, everyone deals with this. Everyone, if, if someone hasn't dealt with addiction uh, personally in their own life, they know someone who has, right? This is a very real thing uh, in, you know, in America, in the world. So, I mean, there's no reason to, to not talk about it. Um, but I, I always like to, when I have someone like you on speak about the, the struggles that we've been through, because I think too often in the social media age with Instagram and YouTube and Facebook, it's like, it's highlight reels, right? And people will see you where you are today and you have, you know, you have a, a good life with a, a thriving business and, you know, you're a, a happy family and all this stuff. And they're like, well, it must be nice to be Brad, you know, but yeah. it's important to look at, you've been through, you've literally been to hell and back, you know? Yeah. No, hundred percent. I think that, uh, I think that so often, and I find myself doing that, looking at somebody and been like, how would it be to be him? And then not remembering like whatever it took for that person to get to where he's at or, you know, what the current struggles are dealing with because so, you know, and my Instagram tag name is the sober bodybuilder. I no longer compete in bodybuilding, but I'm still sober. So I, I, if I don't stay sober, I'll just have to be like the not sober, not bodybuilder. Like it's <laughs> going to change, you know, but, um, you know, it was, um, it got dark and it got ugly and, you know, there was periods in there of renewed hope. And it's so similar when I look at somebody who's really overweight, who's done this up and down battle, there was periods there where I do really well, you know, AKA the person goes on a diet. And, you yeah. know, or goes on a calorie deficit, feels better, gets all this weight off. They think they finally kind of arrived. 
And then they rest on their laurels. And that's what happened to me is I would stop doing the things I needed to do. I'd start hanging out with the, the wrong guys again, but it wasn't that big of a deal, you know? And, yeah. and before I knew it, I was justifying party drugs and, yeah. and, you know, and then next thing you know, I've got a heroin needle in my arm and there's nothing glorious about doing heroin. Like it's not yeah. a fun party with yeah. like rave music. You're in your, <laughs> you know, apartment drooling on yourself, you know, and it, it was this bad. I went to seven different treatment centers in there. I went to um, jail 17 times and uh, did about, I think when I added it all up, I, it's hard. It was just little chunks here and there, probably about a year and a half of my life in, incarcerated. And, you know, uh, finally the last year I did, uh, I did in jail and um, I got out of jail and I got out in January of uh, 2000. 12. My sobriety date is November 20th of 2012. So I just done a year in, in county jail straight. They finally just said, we're done with the charges. We're going to terminate you. You're going. Uh-huh. And, um, and I, I, I got out and I compare this to somebody who's done like an extremely unsustainable measure to get weight mm-hmm. off. Mm-hmm. And then kind of thinks like they're just going to go back to normal eating and it's going to be fine. I just sat in jail. So I was sober but I wasn't doing it the right way. I was hustling pills in there. Yeah. I was, you know, I was, uh, I was gambling a ton. I was fighting people. Like I wasn't acting like a changed person. Yeah. I just wasn't putting drugs in my body. Yeah. And it was like this, this, I got out and I was like, Oh, I'm just going to go back to my normal life. I haven't used drugs in a year. I'm going to be fine. And, um, the insanity returned real quick. And I remember this craving came about me and, uh, you know, long story short, they kept telling me in rehab to play the tape through. And for once I did play the tape through and I was like, okay, if you go down there and get it, you're going to do it. And you're not going to, you're not going to stop until something stops you. You don't just do it for a day. Yeah. And I still did it. You know? And I went down there. And so I didn't draw another sober breath from that day until my sobriety date. And, um, that year I ended up homeless and I never slept on the streets cause I was very uh, resourceful, but my parents finally cut me off and it was the best thing they could do for me. They yeah. just finally said, we love you enough that we, you can't, you're not around here. Mm-hmm. I, I had to protect, I couldn't go over there, restraining order. They called the cops and they let me hit my bottom and I needed yeah. really bad. So, yeah. you know. That, that, that's a, you know, it's funny. I actually have that. One of the questions I wrote down was, you know, uh, the, the parallels you see through your journey to sobriety and fitness, which you, you just answered uh, partially. And I, I think it's exactly like that because I, I do see exactly like you said, you know, people, they have this thought of how it's going to be and I'll just switch. And a lot of times with fitness and with nutrition and with health, I tell people, I'm like, obviously it's not nearly as serious as, you know, what you went through, but you do have to hit rock bottom, right? If, you know, if someone wants, says they want to lose weight, you know, but they keep making decisions and acting in a way that is not indicative of losing weight, then I'm just like, well, maybe you don't want that thing that badly. And maybe you're going to have to hit rock bottom if something is going to change. Because in my experience at the gym, when I, when I was working at the gym as a personal trainer, it would be someone would come in, they'd be like 50 something. And they'd be like, yeah, I've, I've wanted to get back into the gym for like 10, 15 years. I'm like, but why now? And they'd be like, well, my dad had a heart attack at 50 and I'm turning 50 next year. Something, you know, it's some, something crazy has to happen sometimes to force that, that change. So I'm wondering, you talk a lot about this in your, you know, your social media posts and your podcast and stuff like that. And how do we create motivation? It's a great question. Um, you know, I, I tell you that you just hit the nail on the head on one of the things. And, and honestly, uh, I had to learn to not use this always as my leverage point, but pain is an extremely motivating factor. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and, and I see that with my clients and you've probably seen it where they come in in pain, right? And they're willing to do anything it takes. And then the weight kind of comes off and they're not nearly where they want to be, but they're not like disgusted when they look in the mirror, which is beautiful. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But then they start resting and then they're like, ah, like I'm fine. And then real quick, it creeps back um, and the motivation goes away. So pain was an extremely motivating factor for me early on. Um, it was, you know, I was in so much pain. I mean, literally, you know, the day before I got sober, it was a very real realization. I was shooting dope in the back of my mom's car. Long story, we're going to a funeral. I ran out of drugs. My mom is a good religious lady, but I was throwing up in her car and she was like, what do you have to do to show up your grandpa's funeral? I made her stop by the drug dealer's house and then we were going to be late. So I did it in the backseat of her car and I'll never forget her tears coming down her face. And I remember in that moment, it was, you either need to kill yourself. Like, and I hadn't actually thought that. I thought that when I was dope sick, but legitimately like you have two options, kill yourself or get sober. Those are the only two. It didn't, the, so it was so much pain going on another day living like I was living. But then same thing happens within weight loss or, you know, or tra a transformation journey. But six, eight months in, I start getting things back and I get a place of my own and mm -hmm. a car and I get back coaching again and I'm making a little money and like buy some clothes. And I'm like, ah, I think I'm really not that. And so the motivation started to uh, wane. And I did this game for the first probably two or three years where I would, I would wait for to be in pain, to get motivated again, to do a lot of recovery work, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and finally, it hit me that like one of these days, I'm not, the pain's going to become so great that I'm going to choose the other option not to get motivated again. Mm -hmm. So creating motivation for me, it's, it's people who say, how are you so motivated to, to go to the gym every single week, you know, four or five times, no matter what, and to, to eat your food. And, and I tell them, it's not motivation. Like it's my reality. Mm -hmm. You do this shit long enough, it becomes your reality. Like it's no longer about motivation because motivation is so fleeing. You know, Jordan Side talks about being like trying to catch water in your hands yeah. and it will like seep through and then try yeah. to catch it again. Yeah. It goes. And so I don't think motivation is bullshit. Like some people say, excuse me, I think relying yes. on motivation. And, and the key factor for most people is they think a lot of people think they have to be motivated to do the action, mm -hmm. you know, or get willing, you know, and the reality is, is you have to do the action precedes the motivation. Mm -hmm. like, yes. The action precedes the willingness. You, I have to do the action. And as I start seeing the re reap the benefits and rewards, I get a little more motivated to keep doing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. That last little bit, uh, I think is so important for people to understand and, that that really is it right the action precedes the motivation people think i think that they have this backwards exactly they think that it's just like oh i'm going to be motivated i say the same thing all the time it's like motivation is fleeting if, if it was that easy we would be motivated you know and it's like if I, I look at motivation like happiness right so it's like i'm only if i said i'm only going to go to the gym when i'm motivated is like saying i'm only going to have a good day when I wake up beaming sunshine out of my ass, you know, like there's not every day is not like that every day. I do not wake up super happy. Some days I don't want to get out of bed. Some days I want to hit snooze some days, but like, I don't let that dictate the flow of the rest of my life because I don't have control over those things. Um, and it's, it's kind of like you said, you mentioned earlier, like the slippery slope. And it's like, you, you have, when you, you have, you have that pain in the beginning and it's so easy. You're like, yes, I know why I'm doing this. But then as that pain starts to dissipate slowly and surely, 
you kind of lose that. And then you kind of like, yeah, maybe I can, you know, have the thing that I'm not supposed to have, skip the gym or do the drug or whatever the, the thing is. So it's like, it's a, you know, I, I struggle with this because I don't have an answer for people, you know, but I think that, that what you just said about action preceding motivation is a big uh, lever that can really help people make moves in the right direction. Yeah, dude, I couldn't agree more. It's, it, I don't ever have an answer. And mm-hmm. it's one of those things where I tell people, like, I, I don't have an answer for you. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But I can tell you, if you keep doing the action and keep being consistent, you're mm-hmm. going to hit this bird of motivation. I tell people, when I am truly, like, every day of the week, for weeks at a time, motivated to go train, those are like, it's like bliss. Those are mm-hmm. like the, ah, uh, like the heavens have opened. Because mm-hmm. then I'll go through months where, I just go, I'm not extremely motivated to go, but I do it because it's my reality. It's what I do. It's like tying my shoes. Mm -hmm. And then I hit this another burst, almost seemingly out of nowhere of motivation. Mm -hmm. And so it's this kind of like wean and wave train. And you'll, when those moments come, I tell clients relish those, Yeah. like really dive into it because Mm -hmm. then all of a sudden you're not going to get so motivated sometimes for a reason, sometimes seemingly for no reason. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. I love that. I say the exact same thing. It comes, it's waves, right? It comes in waves. So you ride that wave when it's there, but now the trick is the thing is I I try to explain to people is like, it's easy when you're motivated, right? Like, it's like, when you're like, you're like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to set a goal and I'm going to set my alarm and I'm going to wake up early and you're doing the thing. Like those are the easy times. Like you're motivated, you're riding on high, you're getting the results. You're doing, it's like, how do we do it when we aren't motivated in spite of that thing, you know, like in spite of not doing the motivation in spite of all this other stuff, how do we keep doing the thing that we know is important, staying sober, working on our fitness, working on our mental health, working on our thing. And, you know, that is like you said, it's when it becomes that kind of a lifestyle, I think, which is like a cliche thing to say, you know, it's like, Oh, it's everyone says like, Oh, it's a lifestyle, you know, but it is true in a sense where people ask me the same thing. They're like, how do you, how do you say motivated? I'm like, it just is like, like you said, it's like tying my shoe. It's like, I don't, I can't imagine a world where I don't exercise a few times per week at least, you know, like that doesn't have to be every day, but it's just when you build it like that, it is so much a part of your life. Um, so I'm wondering if I, uh, you can name some like easy, like, or, or parts of your routine that you think like are helpful for people to like, make, make those little action steps that will work, work them towards, you know, a, a healthier life. My, my daily routine. Yeah. Yeah. Just like little things that you, that you do yeah. that kind of make it into the lifestyle, you know? Yeah. Um, you, you're talking about like a morning routine and stuff like that. However, you know, I know some people love morning routines. Some people hate them. That's why I like to, I like to ask people about this because you have very different answers. You know, I don't, I'm not a morning routine person myself. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, and it's funny. I used to, um, it's interesting in the morning routine thing. So, you know, when you get into recovery communities in 12 step rooms, you know, they, they talk about getting a morning routine and, and it's really a spiritual morning routine to connect, especially early on because you're crazy, your head's nuts. Like you're trying to rewire 10 years of, you know, opiate and meth use and mm-hmm. um, it's not pretty. And, and so I had ingrained to me that that's what I have to do to stay sober. And I was so, um, this morning routine was so important to me that I think I ruined a whole relationship over this one thing. Cause that's what we mm-hmm. thought about. She'd come down in the morning and I would lose my shit. If she interrupted my morning routine, like, like that is not being a spiritual person. Right. <laughs> and I was so set on this thing. It was a half hour. I was messing with my sleep because mm-hmm. I had to do this 45 minute thing. Now, listen, 
I stayed sober and I built a great life and built a great business. And so I, I'm not mad I did it. But as I've, I've, as I've kind of emotionally matured, I do, I do connect um, to source, to the universe, whatever you believe in. I'm not even sure what I believe in, but I know it's not me. Mm-hmm, in the mm-hmm. morning, but it's about a five-minute deal now. Mm-hmm. And that's through some breath work, which I'm a huge fan of. And, and, and to be honest, we, like it's these seasons. Like Over the last eight years, I kind of look how some of my daily routines have ebbed and flowed and changed and evolved and, and condensed maybe down in time, but I've gotten better at optimization. Mm-hmm. You know, and so breath work is a big thing I believe in. I always struggled with meditation and meditation was always suggested to me. And my ADD would always go crazy, especially <laughs> on guided meditations. They'd be like, oh, you're walking through a forest. <laughs> in my head, I'm like, who am I in the forest with? Why am I in a forest? Who am I with? Why are they <laughs> looking at me? Like, you know, my head would go crazy. And so I found breath work a couple of years ago. It's just a simple tool to connect. And for me, um, I do that kind of when I wake up because I wake up, um, I'm a pretty like go, go, go guy. And I'll kind of wake up almost sometimes with some anxious energy and I needed to just like take a minute to calm down. And so yeah. I do believe in, in, in some kind of, you know, morning ritual. Um, but, uh, but I think it can look different and, and for everybody. And for me, it's connecting to gratitude. Yeah. Um, you know, saying something I'm grateful for, writing it down and then a little bit of breath work. But, um, Th- that's been huge for me. Are you talking about like fitness routines? Or no, just- no, no, That was perfect. That's exactly okay. what I wanted to know because I was like, I'm like, that- like, what the hell are you talking no, about? No, no, no. That's exactly what I wanted to know because I love it. a lot of things that you just said there um, because it, it, exactly that. So I'm the same way, right? I'm always reading. I read books. And I listen to podcasts and I, you know, like all these big thinkers and stuff. They're always like morning routine, morning routine. But it's everyone's is different, right? So some people, oh, you have to meditate first thing in the morning, journaling first thing in the morning. Oh, make sure you get your exercise, 10 minutes of exercise to get the heart pumping and the blood flowing or whatever. There's, and there's all these different things. So it's like, I understand it can be maddening at times where you're just like, well, what the hell am I supposed to do like in the morning? And then, and then there's other people who say like, screw it. I don't set an alarm. I just wake up naturally and I have a nighttime routine and I have a this routine. So I'm always interested in, in what people do. And I love that exactly like you said, that it ebbs and flows and that you, you've tried different things and some things have worked and some things haven't because that's how I am. I've tried, I try meditation probably like twice a year for a stretch because I always know how good it is or I've been told how good it is. And I'm like, I want to make this thing work. And I do it for like three weeks or six weeks or something like that. And then I'm just like, ah, screw this. And I just quit. And then I, you know, a few months late go by. I'm like, I'm going to give this thing another go. And then I'm like, am I doing something wrong right now? I'm just journaling. I've been doing a lot of journaling first thing in the morning. I write down three things I'm grateful for. I journal because again, I've heard that all of these things are really good. And I I feel the benefit when I do certain things. So I'm just, you know, I I like to hear what other people have to do. And I, my point comes back to what I said about you having your own struggles and you having your own thing. And it's just in the same regard, you have your own struggles with this. It's like, I, you know, I I think feel like people think it'll be as simple as like, Oh, once I start my morning routine of 30 minutes of meditation and this, then everything will be good. And the life will just flow from that. But that, that was really the point that I was trying to make that, you know, you have this thing, but it's, you're still working on it. You know, you don't know exactly what it is sometimes and you might mess it up and you might change it. No, hundred percent. And I think that's, I think that's one of, um, one of the things I'm most grateful for along this journey of just life in general mm-hmm. of the last eight years is I've had a, a, a you know, the universe or whatever has done something to help me just remain humble and try to be a student among students. And I'm not always perfect at it, but mm-hmm. I'm always kind of listening. And like, again, I hear how great meditation is, but I keep trying it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this sucks. Yeah. yeah and so I had to be open-minded. There might be a different way I can meditate, yeah. which is just stillness of mind. 
I also do cold showers every single morning. And I started that probably a year and a half ago. And I went through a stretch last year when, oh, it was this year. Just kidding. Sorry. Yeah. Um, the year has seemed really long. Yeah. <laughs> when the pandemic hit and uh, quarantine hit. And I started doing ice baths every day. I had a little more time. And, um, you know, I really liked them. And I haven't done one in the past couple months. But it was a spiritual experience for me. I, yeah, there's some physical benefits. Yeah. But it was, a, it was a challenging thing. And thing, same thing with the cold shower. Every morning when yeah. I turn that on and I'm in there and it hits me, <gasps> takes yeah. my breath away. And for me, it's starting my day out by doing something hard. I do believe there's some good physical benefits. Yeah. I, I, I mostly do it for my mental yeah. kind of like get gritty first thing in the morning, have to control my breath in there. So uh, cold showers is part of my routine. Yeah. Um, and, um, and again, just um, being willing to, to try different things and see what works. And um, I'm not reading much right now, but I'm, I'm actually kind of itching to get back to doing a little more reading first thing in the morning. Yeah. And um, so I'll, then I'll throw that back in. And then, you know, maybe I won't do as much breath work. And, yeah. But I'm always trying to do something. Um, and again, but... Here's my thing with that is it doesn't have to be a morning routine. Yeah. You can do whatever the hell you want, really. You know? Yeah. I love that. And you know what I wrote down here, I'm taking notes as we're doing this. And like one of the things that I just wrote down is like that you kind of remind me is that like these things are tools. Routines are tools. And they should be used to better you and thrown away when they aren't. So like you said, when you got to that point with your original morning routine, where it's like, it was becoming so much that it was like, oh my God, it's, it's a 30 minute routine. If you cut me off after 29 minutes, like I'm gonna snap at you or something like that. Like that thing is no longer serving you. So that's yes. what you have to take a step back and take a look at like, is this, you know, am, am I the, the slave or the master in, in this relationship, you know? Great point, I love that, you love that. Yeah, that's why. And again, that's why I always ask about it because I'm just curious. Because again, if you read enough self-help books, I don't even like the term self-help, but you know what I'm talking about. If you read enough of those, you'll you'll be inundated with morning routines and this and that, and you have to do this. You have to meditate. It's going to change your life. And like you said, like I've tried. I'm the same way. I tried meditation, and I keep coming back to it because I'm like. I would say success leaves clues, and if enough people tell me that meditation changed their life, like I want to give it its fair shot. So I I don't want to just be like, oh, I tried it, like, and then give up because. That's what people do with fitness. That's what people do with nutrition. That's what people do with everything. I, I gave it a try and it didn't work. But it's like, but did you really try that hard? Did you really, did you really give it like a fair go of it? But then I also, maybe it just doesn't work for me, you know? So I have to be uh, willing to accept that, that there's other stuff out there. There's other ways to, you know, balance my mind and balance my body. And I don't think that there's any one answer to any of this. I agree. You're a nutrition coach and, you know, through AA, I know they have sponsors. So how do you see mentorship and coaching and accountability and that kind of thing. And how important is that in people who want to make a serious life change? I'm so glad you asked me that question. I, I that is one thing I'm super proud. When I looked at it and it took me a minute to, to come to this realization, but I quickly realized that, okay, you know, I got in, you know, I actually got to sponsor me in AA. Now the difference is they do it for free, mm-hmm. but the payoff as I'm learning is still eight years later, I usually have one guy I'm always working with. I don't take on more than that because I don't have the time. But um, the reward is, is that I continue to get to live this beautiful life. So it is, it does pay off for them. But, you know, I had to meet with him every week. And I picked a guy purposely who I was like, he is going to be an asshole. And I needed that. I needed that tough accountability. I had tried so many times to get sober and failed. And uh, I picked a guy who I knew was going to be hard on me. And he was hard on me. I mean, and I needed that, you know, and he, I met with him every week and 
you know, I mean, I wouldn't suggest a coach doing this, but I showed up seven minutes late one time and he expressed to me early on the importance of always being on time. He said, you don't have shit right now. Mm -hmm. The only thing we can get you to have is your word. Mm -hmm. You don't even know how to do that yet. So he said, start by being on time every single week. And I showed up seven minutes late and there was a post-it note on the door and said, better luck next week. I'm doing this because I love you, not because I hate you. And I remember I thought he was such a dick. And, uh, but I needed that. I didn't show up late again. But I met with him every week. And we went over stuff. He gave me, he gave me you know, we, we read in this book together. And then you know, we, I worked these 12 steps. So he'd give me an assignment. We'd go over the assignment. And then there was accountability. And I come back the next week. We'd go over, did I get that done? What was my experience? You know, and all these other little tasks. It was accountability. And it was, it was application. And it was education. Like, he was giving me accountability. And then the proper, like, next steps to take. And he was educating me on kind of the hows and the whys and why this works and why, like what was his experience too with it. And wouldn't you know, like I not only got and stayed sober, but built the beautiful life. And quickly when I started coaching, I realized, holy shit, it's the same thing. <laughs> They're meeting with me on a weekly or whatever, bi-weekly basis. I'm holding them accountable. I'm giving them proper application. Then I'm educating them on why and how this works and what the science is behind it and what I think is going to happen. And that's where change began. Like that's that I, it, without that man, I'm not sure I would have gotten and stayed sober. I needed that one. And that really built my testimony for coaching. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they're paying me, mm -hmm. but it's the same thing. I'm holding them accountable and, I, and I'm, you know, getting them to the next step from A to B to B to C. Yeah. And it's so similar. There's a reason why it works. Yeah. A hundred percent. I'm, I'm, you know, the same. Uh, I, and the biggest proponent of coaching, obviously I am a coach. So I always, I always have to caveat this with like, obviously I'm a little biased, but it's like, it's such a real thing. Like there's such a clear distinction between, you know, I just said success leaves clues, right? Every person who, you know, every podcast, every interview, every book I read that has like a super high achieving person, a CEO, a billionaire, just someone who has a great life. They always have a coach a mentor, a mastermind group that they're a part of, right? There's, you, we have to have someone outside of ourselves. It's this weird thing that humans get into. It's like where we're, we think it's like we become less than if we have to ask for help, especially if money is involved because now it becomes another level. It's like, well, why would I pay someone to help me do something that, you know, I could do on my own? And the, the way I try to explain it, it's like, it's not that you can't do it on your own. It's like you're playing the game on hard mode. Like you're, you're making it so much harder for yourself when someone like you who's been through like the, just the life experience that you have that you bring to a coaching client is going to save them years of stress and failure and tribulations and things like that. And it's, I don't think that it can be overstated how valuable something like that is. I mean, I'm the biggest, obviously it's what we do, but you know, it's, it's the truth. I mean, I've had a lot of coaches and a lot of mentors and, you know, um, the guy you referenced, you know, I ended up hiring him at like a high ticket price. And, and listen, I got what I, like, I, I got what I needed and, um, you know, and, and did that with him. And then, you know, was smart enough to realize I kind of needed a change of direction. And so, um, you know, and I still am currently working with, with a uh, business mentor on kind of a, a looser basis, kind of like an as needed, we do calls, mm -hmm. but, uh, at one point there, couple of years ago, I think I had five different coaches. I kind of was laughing. I had a full-blown business coach. Then I had a nutrition coach. Um, I had uh, 
a podcast coach. I had a life coach and I had one more. I can't remember. And I was like, I think that might be too many coaches. Yeah. Like, yeah, to coach to, to teach you how to juggle all those coaches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Then it, yeah exactly. Um, but it was, uh, and that was probably a little too much, but I've always, uh, you know, I, I don't think it's a mistake. Like, you know, my, my company's in personally been able to do pretty well. I mean, better than I ever thought. And um, I'm really grateful for that. But I'm also like, it wasn't by accident. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I tried on my own. Mm -hmm. and uh went into the negative in my business pretty early on and was like oh i'm losing money yeah better you know and so i hired somebody and then i hired another person you know and it, just kind of that evolution of um you know i've always had somebody i've had some sort of coach in my life and especially when it comes to business the whole way mm -hmm. yeah 100 percent. and again i think that that is so powerful and that's why i, why I asked you because i wanted to point this out to people because again we get into this whole instagram brad's doing so well they don't see what goes on behind the scenes they don't see myself personally i work i you know i fitness nutrition but i have a fitness coach i have a trainer who we i meet with on zoom and we we do training like since since covid since things have been shut down you know i have a business coach i have a mentorship that i'm that i'm in so all of these things like you know it's easy to look at someone and and think like oh you know like they have it all figured out but it's like they don't i don't you don't but you have you're smart enough to go and find a team and put the put the pieces around you to fill in your blank spots fill in your blind spots yeah 100% yeah i've spent a lot of i mean i haven't ever even counted it up it's well <laughs> over six figures in the last yeah. uh few years on coaching um and, you know, the good news is I, I'm not, uh, I'm at a place right now where, I, I mean, I have a coach, but it's a very loose basis. Like I pay him a chunk and then we just yeah. do a certain amount of calls. And, you know, I talked to him probably for six weeks now. Yeah. Um, so it's a lot less money I'm spending now. And it was yeah. a lot more initially. Uh, but there's, there's something to be said there. Very few people generate a huge, you know, like a big business, much bigger than mine. And they didn't have mentors along the way. Almost yeah. all of them say, oh, yeah. I had a coach, I had a business mentor, I was part of a mentorship, I was part yeah. of a mastermind. Yeah, 100%. I appreciate that you brought up the actual actual money figures. I know it's, it's hard to estimate these things because you kind of just, it just over accumulates over years. And people might hear something like that, like six figures, like that's more than my life savings or something like that. And it is a very daunting thing in the beginning because I'm the same way. I'm the same way with, with, with coaching, with mentorships, with education too. Like I, I buy courses and CEUs and things like that. Like, like it's going out of style, you know, like I'm always investing myself. I've spent easily like since coronavirus, probably like over $10,000 on just like online courses because I've just been home and I'm like, I'm always learning. I'm, I'm, I always want to learn. But what people don't understand is that that's not money that you're spending. That's money that you're investing in yourself and in your future. As you said, you were, you know, in the red, you were struggling when you first started your business, you spent all that money, but now you have made it back in spades because of what you learned and because of who you were able to put yourself next to because you were able to get next to people. You know, you got to pay to play sometimes. And it's unfortunate that that's the way of the world. It would be nice if all of these people would just donate their time, you know, to, to for, for shits and giggles, but it just can't be that way. And I look at this the same with fitness and nutrition, right? You, what the, the, the knowledge that you have in your head about nutrition is valuable. The, the knowledge that I've spent 10 years accruing in fitness it, there is value and the time and the actual money I've spent. So it's like to someone to then pay me to, to give them that knowledge is a very, I think, smart thing for them to do rather than floundering around for someone to pay you to get off of the spinning death wheel of going nowhere in their nutrition and just say, Hey, Brad, just show me the right way. And I don't have to think about it anymore. 
there's an extreme amount of value in that. And to me, time is the, the most, the only thing we don't get back. You know, there's, you can always make more money. You're never going to make more time. So I'm a big, big proponent of uh, time collapsing and paying someone else to make your journey a little bit shorter. Yeah. I'm on the same page. On your, again, I've done a little scrolling through your Instagram. I've been following you for a while, but I just went around and looked at some, some different posts and stuff. So I have a few, few different ones I want to uh, pick out. And one thing you talk about uh, in one of your posts recently, it's a fairly recent one, you said, you know, the right diet should include practicality, practicality, uh, sustainability, discipline, behavior goals, and a few other things, right? And I thought that was awesome. But what I, what I noticed is in the post that was titled The Right Diet, you had no mention of food, calories macronutrients, there's nothing, anything like that. So I'm just wondering why, how is that possible? How can you talk about the right diet and not even bring up the word food? Yeah, you know, I didn't even realize I didn't do that. Uh, I mean, obviously when I, uh, I didn't, it wasn't really super intentional, but obviously it was um, just because I, you know, a common question I'll get when I put up a sticker box on my stories is like, what do you think, like, uh, like, A, what do you think my macro should be? And they're like, <laughs> five, seven, one, twenty, forty-two 42 years old. I'm like, yeah. don't know. Don't know, Sharon. Um, <laughs> but, or, um, you know, do you believe in moderate fat, high, like, people ask me, like, what, and, and the reality is, is the answer is, they hate, they hate it is, it depends. Mm-hmm. It 100% depends. Obviously, the right diet should, should, <laughs> should, um, if you're looking to diet in the sense of lose weight, it has to have a calorie deficit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But outside of the obvious that a diet should, if we're dieting, mm-hmm. we should be creating a calorie deficit. Like that's those things, like it should include that in my opinion. And, and yeah. I could be wrong, yeah, no. but I think, I think it should include some of your favorite foods. Yeah, um, you know, I think it should include, it should be something practical. I would say if the, if the approach isn't sustainable, the results won't be maintainable. Yep. Um, okay. It's very, very, and, and some people have fought back on that bullshit. I did a very unsustainable approach and I kept it off. And, you know, there's outliers for sure. Yeah. Of course there is. But for me to say the right diet is you tracking macros would be irresponsible. Yes. For me to say the right diet for you is to, uh, you know, is, is keto would be irresponsible because every person is so unique and so, I can't tell you what the right, and quite frankly, my favorite diet is whatever one you like the best, that you feel the best, that you have balance in your life, that you can sustain, and that works with your body. Mm-hmm. That's my favorite. I love that. And again, I, I'm, I'm 100% on the same page as you because you're right, right? And I feel like this is like, uh, all you're doing is just going upstream, right? You're just like, you're just cutting off the problem before it even starts when you when you factor in sustainability and discipline and all these other things and this goes this ties back into the question we were just talking about about coaching and experience and paying for this because this is why you hire someone like you for anyone listening like this is when when i'm talking about you know what's the benefit of coach it's something like this because i know for a fact for myself you know i i would answer that question just like you did but if you would have asked me five years ago i wouldn't have i would have said you have to do macros or you have to do something else but through experience i have learned better and now if you pay me as a nutrition coach you get the benefit of those five years of experience where i'm not going to make you make the same mistakes that i would have done five years ago right like i'm gonna i'm gonna be like now like i actually know a better way now and it takes a certain amount of uh self-discipline to be able to admit that which which you which i think that you have done in spades where you're just like yeah like there's a better way than the bro diet or the keto or the whatever the, the hot new thing is for the, the year, you know? 
Yeah, no, 100%. When I first started, uh, yeah, I got sober. Um, I was working at a place that was really glorified like Jenny Craig. I mean, it was, it was uh, we, were, we were writing, you know, meal plans for people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I made people eat six times a day because you had mm-hmm. to to speed up your metabolism. You had to eat six times a day. And all this bullshit that yeah. all of a sudden I was like, wait, this isn't true. There's too <laughs> much research like proving this is not true. Why am I giving people meal plans? They yeah. can't sustain this long term. <laughs> and so, you know, five, six years ago, I flipped. And, and when I started Kia, I was like, we're going to do more of like a macro approach. And so I yeah. was dead set on everyone needs to do macros. They have to go to you. And then, you know, a year goes by and I'm like, macros isn't for everyone. And so mm-hmm. I guess, I guess the point of the story is, is that as we make mistakes as even trainers and coaches and the way we train people or coach people, we start learning because guys like me and you are still willing to always be mm-hmm. diving into the research. I think one of the biggest shames is a coach or a trainer who is unwilling to expand his ideologies and, and stays very dogmatic in his approach. I see guys I used to coach with at that place. They still post about you have to eat six times a day. You can't have carbs at night. And I'm blown away. I'm like, dude, five, six years ago, I started diving in more. And I was like, well, that's not true. You know? And so then I realized, you know, in my coaching now is uh, a lot of my clients track macros. It's probably the the, the most uh, prevalent way I do it. But some people don't. Some yeah. people, it went too far. I mean, we're working on health and habits. And mm-hmm. some people got too obsessed with tracking. Yeah. And so we had to we get off the tracking. And so I think just always being willing to kind of expand that. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, the reason I go, I, the reason I'm asking about all this stuff, and the, the reason I, anyone who listens to this podcast, any of my listeners who have, have heard me throughout the weeks and months of different episodes, you know I say this all the time. Everything is the same, right? So what you just said about coaching is the same as, business and life in general it's like you have to be willing to realize that you don't know anything and that there's more information out there and that if you're still operating today with the same set of beliefs education whatever around a certain subject that you were five or ten years ago i mean you're probably just doing it wrong i can't imagine anything that's like that where it's like every the things we know are are expanding at such a rapid rate all the time especially in health and fitness especially with that kind of stuff i mean it's like i have the same experience where i'll go to a gym and I'll see a guy 10 years older than me training clients that it looks like, I mean, it's literally just the muscle mag chest workout from like 1992, you know, like literally like cut and pasted out of the thing. It's like, I, I already know what you're doing. You know, it's like, it's like, what's the last time you, you actually tried something new? So it's a, it's an unfortunate uh, reality, but that's why the people like you are, you know, the cream rises to the top, so to speak. And like, that's why people see success because you have the humility to say like, whoa, that probably isn't right. And whoa, maybe there is a better way. Um, so I think that awesome, awesome, awesome stuff. Um, <laughs> one last thing I want to do before I move off the topic of your old Instagram posts, because I, I'm enjoying this. Um, I scrolled a little farther back. Back in April of 2016, you posted a quote and it said, direction is so much more important than speed. Many are going nowhere fast. And I like that quote. And I just wanted to uh, just kind of made me think like now, four years later, like, especially at a time where it seems like the world has been forced to slow down. How do you feel about that? That direction is so much more important to, than speed and many are going nowhere fast. Yeah. I mean, dude, I still stand by that hundred percent. Um, you know, I, I remember, um, you know, I heard somebody early on in recovery meeting talk about, you know, the direction was far more important than speed or position. Like, 
you know, and it's about just kind of that one day at a time mentality and one foot in front of the other. And um, when you look at when you look at fat loss, which is really what that post was pertaining to a mm -hmm. lot was, you know, people, people want these fast results. Mm -hmm. and, and the reality is, is done the right way in a healthy manner with a moderate calorie deficit. And, um, you know, having some balance in your life, however long you think this should take for you to lose <laughs> X amount of pounds times it by two at a minimum, <laughs> yeah. it's just the truth. It's, it's going to take far longer than people think it should. They're going to want to quit far more than they ever anticipated they would. But remember the direction you're heading is far more important. Like that, that, and, and really, even in my life, there's been times within business where Things weren't happening as fast as I wanted them to. And I'm like, yeah, but I feel like I'm a little bit better than I was last month. And I'm a little better than I was the month before. And even if it's just minutes, it's, it goes back to the Atomic Habits book, which mm -hmm. is one of my favorite books, that kind of 1% better mentality, right? Mm -hmm. That's to me what the direction is, is 1% yeah. better. That 1% better is not fast. Yeah. But over time, it really adds up. Yeah, I love that uh, 100%. And I like that you, you related it back to not only fat loss, but also business. Because again, like I just said, everything is the same. It's, it's, you know, I, all you can focus on is doing what you can do. You can't, uh, choose how fast the results come. You can choose the actions that you put in and you can choose the things. And I, I mean, I swear if I've interviewed a hundred people, 99 of them have said atomic habits on this podcast, because <laughs> it is the most amazing thing. So if my listeners aren't tired of hearing about it yet uh another one i'll add to that is uh the slight edge i don't know if you've ever heard of that book or yeah. read it but it's the same i mean it's the same idea the slight edge is basically one percent better every day and he says that you know just by working on one percent better and exponential growth one percent better every day it's one percent better the first day and 1.1 percent better the second day but all of a sudden after 365 days it's x thousands of percent better i don't know i don't know math like that but it's it's one of those things that if we get too caught up in the granular, like you said, like we want the thing to happen too fast. And like the little thing of drinking one glass of water is not getting me to my goal of losing 50 pounds. It's easier. It's easy to get like flustered and just go like, well, what the hell is the point of all this? But what we don't realize is those, it's those little baby steps that over time add up to that big final result. So I really, I really uh, enjoy that. Um, and the last thing that I'm going to ask, and this is something I ask of all my guests, is if you could leave the listeners with one action step that they can take as soon as this podcast ends, something super easy, actionable, that they can take to start doing today to start living a healthier, happier life. And it can be about fitness, it can be about nutrition, it can be about none of the above. Just something easy and actionable. What would your one thing be? One thing? That's a good question. Does that really... Ah, man, that's really hard. Um, you know, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm pertaining it to, uh, geez, one thing, see? My ADD brain does not work with that. Like, can I give you 100? Um, I, honestly, man, I got a default back. I was trying to be creative, but it's just what first came to my mind right when you said that was um, incorporating breath work. We don't really, like, if you actually studied how we're not supposed to be chronic mouth breathers, but that's all we breathe out of. My, my little six-month-old kid doesn't know how to breathe out of his mouth. Mm -hmm. He only breathes out of his nose. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you think about it. When, when you're, you're all upset, someone says, hey, man, take a breath. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Take a deep breath. There's a reason where that comes from. And there's an app, which I'm not affiliated with at all, um, 
I, I want to try to be because I tell <laughs> everyone to use it. It's called breath work and work is spelled W R K. Uh -huh. But I think it was 38 bucks for the year. They have 40 probably different breath work patterns and it tells uh -huh. you how to do it, the science behind it, like what, what it's trying to do to your parasympathetic or sympathetic nervous systems. Uh -huh. You can pick one minute, three minute, five minute, but incorporating that, you know, um, you know, I'm going through a rough patch personally, like with some personal stuff in my life and you know, me and my, my, I'm getting a divorce and, um, and you know, while it's for the best, that's never a fun situation. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm so amazed at the power of breath work. When I've been able, I start to get anxious. I pull that app out. Boom. One, to, one, one minute sometimes. Mm -hmm. <sighs> Calm yeah. down. And I can go about my day and show up for other human beings the way they deserve, which in turn fulfills and enriches my life. Yeah. I love that. That's beautiful. I think, I mean, I'm huge on breath work. I think it's super powerful. And I think it's important to kind of explain to people exactly what you said, that there's like a scientific reason behind all this stuff. It's not some like hippy dippy, like, Ooh, just, just breathe, you know, like it, there is real science and, and neurology behind what happens when it's you not just placebo effect. Yeah. yeah. Yes. There's an actual thing. And so if anyone is interested in, in learning more, you can definitely check out the app that breath uh, that, that Brad just breath that Brad just uh, mentioned the breath work. Um, also the book breath by James Nestor just yes. this summer was like a huge, like the, the book of the summer, I feel like, and that's yep. kind of opened a lot of people's minds to this stuff. Um, and also a very simple breath drill that you can do is called box breathing and box right. breathing is very simply four uh, stages. So in, hold out hold right so it's whatever so think of a box with four sides and just pick a number like three seconds or four seconds so it's a three second inhale hold your breath for three seconds three second exhale hold your breath for three seconds out and continue like that for five to maybe ten rounds maximum of breath and that would take you 30 seconds to a minute and that will directly switch you from that fight or flight anxious mode to rest and digest chilled out a little bit like it, it's kind of crazy to see sometimes how drastic the change can be like you you can go from really flustered and like all keyed up to just like oh, all right like i'm i'm not going to die you <laughs> know like i'm i'm good i'm chilling i just did every before every podcast i'll do about a minute of breath work because i'm usually transitioning right from another thing just so i can be present with guests and and um i love that you said that and that that book absolutely phenomenal book so yeah. and when it comes to fitness i got to just drink water. Like that is the most simple thing. And, and here's what I'll leave you with. The things that are so easy to do are almost always the so, things that are so easy not to do. Yes. Example, okay. like getting some steps in, doing a little bit of a walk. Not hard. So because it's not hard, it's also really easy not to do. Mm. Drinking water. This is not hard for me to put this bottle to my lips. Yeah. Because it's not hard, it's so easy to not do too. It's like, eh, how, how big of a difference could that make? Yeah, I love that. I think that's so important. Such an important thing to realize is it's sometimes it's too easy almost. And that's why we don't do it. So I think that that's a great point that you just made. And I, I think I'm going to leave it there for today. Um, so just before I end this, Brad, I just would like, I'm sure people after hearing your story and just hearing all the things we've talked about are going to want to connect with you more. So you just let people know where to find you and what uh, anything you have going on that you want to talk about. Um, yeah, you can find me on Instagram at the sober bodybuilder, all one word. Um, Company's website is keynutrition.com. Um, you can, you know, check that out. And uh, I've got a course that's called the Next Level Experience, and we're we're right in the thick of the first round of it. Um, and it's uh, kind of leveling up spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally, taking some of the principles I've learned in the twelve step rooms and uh, combining them with the physical and, and emotional. We have a uh, I 
partnered up with a gal who's an energy, um, uh, and I call her an energy healer. She hates the word healer, but she does energy work, which sounds really woo-woo until you really dive into some of the science behind it and, uh, you know, combine with everything else. So uh, you can find more information about that on my website. But um, outside of that, man, I'm just stoked. Uh, stoked I'm here. Give me a follow and um, would love to connect with you. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for coming, Brad. Again, this was an awesome conversation. I really think that people are going to get a lot out of it. Uh, have a great day. That's all for this week. Be sure to subscribe and follow the show so you don't miss a beat. Support the show by sending this episode to a friend or leaving a rating and review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Stay happy, stay healthy.